Welcome back to another episode of The Tennis Tragic. My name is David Kalina. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Matt Rochford and Alex Dawson. It's November the 2nd here in Australia, and there has been no shortage of drama and tragedy both this week between the WTA Finals in Shenzhen and the ATP Masters event in Paris. Uh, I don't know about you guys, um, but I was super pumped for the WTA Finals this week. I just thought like the field was amazing. Anybody could have won. I uh, was more excited about watching that than the men. And I don't know, it started with this great match between Simona Halep and Bianca Andreescu, the first time they had ever played. But Bianca got a little hurt, and then it was just kind of like nonstop injuries. Um, I guess there have only been three major ones, but both alternates have gotten in. And uh, yeah, it was just, it's been a little bit of a mess, and the whole round robin thing is uh, complicating things. But anyway, first, I thought we would talk about there's been this kind of like mini controversy um, about. Darren Cahill's on-court coaching. Um, yeah, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Matt? Yes, well, um, Darren Cahill has been uh, copped a lot of flack from the media um, because he uh, said some well, what what people interpret as mean things to his um, to his players, Simona Hallett. He's like the, in the WTA, which is a it's a good thing. Uh, an interesting quirk is that. Coaches are allowed on court at certain times. So yeah, he, when he when he um, came to talk to Simone, he said that she'd been an absolute disgrace. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to play the clip for you. Um, what yeah, we're we, do- we don't have the uh, we don't have the rights, so you know we have to do some something different. We do, and um, we hope this is going to be a regular feature on, on the tennis tragic. We're, we're going to do a dramatic reading of um, of, of conversations that happen both in the press rooms and on the courts um, during tennis matches. So, yeah, now here is our um, interpretation of Darren Cahill's um, G-up to Simona Hallett. Simo, Simo, look at me. The last three games you've been a disgrace on the court. Come on. You can't win the match doing what you've been doing the last three games. You've got to reel it in. Get your focus back between the lines. For no reason you've lost it there. So you have a chance to define yourself now in this set. Forget the result. How are you going to finish this match? It's up to you. You can finish with full energy and full focus or you continue or you can continue what you've been doing during the last three games and have no chance to win. So at least give yourself a chance by pulling it back in. This is on you. Get your attitude back on track and you will win this match. I have full belief. You have a choice here how to define yourself as an athlete and a competitor. Okay, nice one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about you guys. I think we're all on the same page here. Uh, this, you know, it, people are just really quick to rush to judgment and suggest that, like, Darren Cahill spoke to Simona in this really inappropriate way. But um, I don't know. I mean, they have a they have a relationship that goes back many years. Simona obviously respects and, you know, loves Darren Cahill in this relationship. And, um, you know, they had, they hadn't worked together for quite a while. Darren had kind of separated from the camp and he just came back and, you know, she seems to respond really positively to him. So I don't know what the controversy actually is here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, from my perspective, it, it, it seemed necessarily harsh. Like she's employing someone, a coach to get her to the top level of the sport. And she had a terrible first set. And her coach has come on to give her a kick up the bum, which is exactly what he's there for. <laughs> uh, and I think it was totally needed. And he knows where the boundaries are. He knows what is effective with her. Uh, I just, yeah, I just really can't see how how people are kicking off over this. I mean, I can see what I can see why, but I don't think it's I don't think it's valid. Yeah, I, I, I can I can see what people are saying. I mean, like. It's not nice to call someone a disgrace, um, you know. And I think people have a lot of respect for athletes that they're out there doing their best. And then, you know, when someone's uh, you know out there trying, and the coach comes on, who doesn't have to play the match, um, and just calls uh, his player a disgrace. Um, yeah, people are upset, but it, it, it's um. I don't mind it. I think, and I think Simona responds well. And Simona um, has said that she 
um, that she knows her coach was pissed at her, um, her words, and that um, she felt that that it was justified and that, that his uh, coaching helped her. Yeah, um, like using the word disgrace, I think was maybe the the thing that people were honing in on, right? Like that's that's pretty intense. Like the the notion that somehow uh, Simona is like disrespecting the sport or like, or herself or that, you know, she's like wasting people's time and money. I mean, this is the sort of thing that I think people get into with athletes when they put in bad performances, you know, like if we look at somebody like Kyrgios who, you know, will do, you know, something like that will happen. And for him, it's often just intentional. Like he's not trying at all. So I don't know that Simona, how I didn't watch that set. Uh, or that match. So I don't know for sure. It's hard to speak about more clearly, but I don't ever feel like Simona Halep isn't trying. Like, I think she probably went out there and just didn't have it, you know, like, so yeah, maybe a little slap, slap around from somebody who's in that position and that, you know, can help get her going. And I think it's weird that people feel (laughs) they, you know, that they, they would know better somehow about how those two people should communicate and what their boundaries should be. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, isn't it? People sitting in like the armchair experts sitting and just criticizing the way a coach talks their, to their player. I, don't know. I, I can see, like Matt said, I can see where they're coming from. But yeah, uh, maybe she just came out, was was not focused in that first set. I don't know. I, I'm the same. I actually missed that first set as well. Um, but I can I can see myself being in that position and not focused and, and appreciating someone coming out and just giving me a slap in the face and being like, oi, Wake up, focus. We're in a match. Play better. Like, start playing better. You need to. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and it yeah. takes all kinds. You know, like I mean, maybe I'm the sort of person who doesn't respond to you know, like really like tough love kind of treatment. You know, maybe I need a little bit more. You know, a little softness, a little coddling. You know, I'm sure there are players like that where it's just personality wise, they need somebody who can kind of care for their needs in a certain way. Um, I don't know. I think there's there's also just this really. I I've grown to really like the on court coaching. Um, at first, I wasn't crazy about it. Um, I think the optics are a little weird, also with the WTA because um, they're the ones who have decided to you know go forward with this innovation, and it's not at the Grand Slams, which is probably when most you know like most casual fans are watching the, the sport. So it does, and and also most of the coaches are men, right? Um, so you have this kind of, this this image where only the women like are getting the on-court coaching treatment, you know, and like getting taken care of in this way. Um, and it's almost always like being provided for by men. And, um, yeah, I think you've touched on something really like uh, maybe goes to the heart of why there's the criticism there because, um, we've, we've been using a language like slapped around and obviously, um, Mm, yeah, obviously we, we, uh, you know, there's, uh, no place for physical violence, against women, um, uh, you know, like, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. It's we're talking about, um, uh, just using some language that helps get an athlete to focus more. Yeah. Um, thanks for clarifying that. That's important. <laughs> yeah. That was a poor, another poor choice of words on my part. Sorry. It was intended metaphorically, like, you know, somebody like, like a virtual kick in the pants. <laughs> that makes it yeah. a, a light, a light emotional butt kicking. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, as, as, as you hear in Australian parlance, um, a G, a G up, you know, a G up. Have you, yeah, you that's a new one that, for me. You don't get that in America. No, what does that mean exactly? I don't. To, I don't know to that. To g one. someone up means to like kind of get them uh, get the energy up. Uh, like the, all co- right. the coaches might give you like a football team a g up in the uh, in the dressing room at halftime. But that could be like that could be totally positive. That could be rah rah like you know go get them like kill or, you know like really talking somebody up. Like I think the difference here is that there's. There is a there's this way of being with somebody where you're like kind of taking them down a bit, but in a way that's you know where the intent is to actually get them to like be motivated, right? Like yeah. you know, like I'm being harsh with you because I care. It's it's tough love. It's yeah. um yeah. Um, there's a term in in like there's like a TED talk that's gone around about um uh, what the hell is it called? I'll come back to it. 
Something to do, something like tough love. Yeah, it's like tough love. Um, it's uh, like when you're honest with somebody, um, but you show that you're caring about them as well. You know, like, and in that honesty, you can actually be very harsh. You know, like there's there's a skill to being direct, but also showing that you care. And I also think something that's getting lost in the kind of soundbite approach to what Darren Cahill said is that you know, he kind of, at the end, he turns it around and makes it positive. He says, I believe in you. You can win this match. And she did, by the way, go out and win the second set. So, you know, like, if it's just, like, if the only way you're approaching it is like, this is, you're a disgrace. I'm embarrassed by you. I don't even want to be your you coach anymore. Suck. You, you suck. You suck. You're and then, a and then <laughs> You sicken me. You make me yeah. sick. I don't, <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> But, but and and providing no solutions and then just leaving it at that that would be totally not that would be inappropriate. But like you said, if you bring it back positive and 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 providing some solutions of how to get better, that that in context, it's I think it's a really good coaching visit and really helpful. Like you said, like you were just saying, yeah, yep, um, yeah. I think I think it's good and like I think you know hopefully. The power, like Darren's an employee of Simona, technically, I, I guess. So, like, Simona ultimately has the power to fire the coach if she doesn't, um, you know, which frequently happens. Players fire coaches uh, if she doesn't, if she's not getting enough. And he's he he cares about her. He's trying to get the um, he's trying to get her to to focus and play well, and that's his job. That's what he's employed by Simona to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay. Um, what do you guys think? Should the, should the men have on-court coaching too? I'm with you on this. I've grown to like it. And before I used to think no, but now I think they should. And I would love to see it. Me too. I think coaching is such, a, such an important part of tennis, um, a part of the game of tennis. Like, you know, the, the, the technique, the tactics, they're working with the coaches – um, every day, and to, just to, and as a tennis enthusiast, and you know, people who understand um, what coaches do in tennis, I think it would be so, so much fun to, to get a bit of a taste of that happening during a match. Yeah, I mean, the the most common argument is that tennis is a gladiatorial sport, and they like to see people figure it out themselves in the middle of the court and problem solve and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, and I did, I. Do I kind of still do agree with that? But I, I love getting an insight into the strategy and the problem solving, and especially when a player is losing, what their coach can say to try and get them to turn it around. And uh, uh, yeah, I just, I just really love the tactical insight and the mo- like, just seeing the different ways of how they can turn it around. So yeah, it's a good yeah, one. and um, and uh, I also am really. Uh, interested in the relationship dynamics, right? Like, uh, I think, like, I also do love that tennis is an individual sport and the players are out there on their own. They've got to figure it out for themselves. You still get that. You know, it's not like, I mean, the, first of all, you're only getting one coaching visit a set. So there's all this time where the, co- you know, the player is by themselves. Um, you know, they're still not really keen on letting people coach from the sidelines, um, which is also kind of an interesting wrinkle. Like if you're allowing coaching, like why does it have to be in this, you know, special timeout? But then yeah. you kind of preserve that, oh, you got to figure it out yourself. But for me, like one of the way, like in my tennis fandom, when I got really more deeply into the game, it was, I started to realize how important all those relationships were. Like I got really interested in like, who's in the box, you know, like how are these, how's the coaching relationship, the, uh, the romantic relationship, the, uh, you know, the agent, the, you know, the, the friend who works as a physio like all these people in the box like have a tremendous impact on the player you know it really is a team sport in a lot of ways but it's you know it's not really always looked at that way so i'm totally into the encore coaching i just i also think it's it's unique that tennis you know mics it up and shows it um the players often are kind of really hard to hear i kind of i'm not sure about this do you think that the are the coaches wearing mics because you can always hear like the coach really clearly but the players are. I don't core. think so. I think the players are just a lot more self-conscious and mindful about it being televised. I think that's the impression I get. Mm, so they talk okay. almost mumble, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, they. Um, I guess the coach, the coach is a communicator. Like that's uh, that's part of their profession. So I think they maybe they're quite good. Um, it's a, a, a part of their job description. Something they, they a skill they develop being good communicators, and a player doesn't have to develop that as much. Yeah, and I think the players also like you, you know when you focus on them in that way during a changeover, you can see how in the match they are. You know, like they are. I mean, their heart rates are up. They're you know they have to like focus on a few key things. Like you know, you can see a bunch of them go through their routines. Obviously, the more OCD ones like Roth. You know, Roth is playing with his bottles, and you know, Milos Raonic is sitting there like tapping his legs to kind of focus his energy, and yeah, um, you know, Richard Gasquet is re- like rewrapping his. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you a know, few of the tennis younger racket. Ones, a few of the younger ones still pulling out a notebook. Have you seen that that move? No. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting no, one. Yeah. Sure. I think Taylor Townsend did it, and a few other of the younger ones have done it. I've seen them. They come out in the chat. I think uh, Garin maybe has done it in the past. Or one of those. I think it was one of those Chilean. Maybe it was. Um, mm. uh, I can't. Yeah, but yeah, they just yeah pull out the notebook and just start reading it in the change of ends. I always thought that's kind of interesting. It's Garin, kind of like, I don't know. Sorry, oh, sorry, I just wanted to mention Garin and the, the conqueror of Jeremy Shardy, who was the conqueror of Daniel Medvedev. He's been playing amazingly, Garin, for, for all season. I, I first started noticing him on the South American clay swing, but he's backed it up. He's kept it going, so it's, I'm, I'm impressed with Garin. Yeah, I thought he was a strict clay quarter, but yeah. uh, apparently like, the courts in Paris are on the fast side from what people are saying. I don't know. I have trouble like really telling the difference. Everybody's also saying that the WTA finals are really slow, and I, I kind of get the sense of that because of the players who have been playing well, but um, I just can't really see it. Do you, do you notice that when you're watching? No, me too, and I've heard there's this conversation as well, and a lot of people saying it's too slow, and a lot of people saying that it used to be too fast and then there was a big overcorrection and all the courts slowed it down to get more rallies and, and now it's gone too slow and this whole conversation. But I agree. I, I struggle to tell the difference. And I want to – maybe we should do an episode where we look at how they measure the speed. I know I've looked this up before and read about how they do it, but maybe we should um, have a bit more of a deep dive into that because it's a really big gray area for me. Yeah, and I, I like it's often that I hear you know broadcasters or people who are like deeper into the game than we are. Like they, it seems like they can just pick it up automatically, and somehow my I just haven't been able to pick that up yet. Um, the thing about Shenzhen that I keep hearing, you know, like ten, uh, tennis podcast is doing a daily podcast right now, which is awesome, and they're like they're they're talking about how the. Um, the court is like almost like sandpaper and they, they speculate that this has a bit to do with the injuries as well, because it's just like the rallies are so much longer. And, you know, at the end of the year also, like the, the season is way too long. I mean, I think most people feel that way. I love tennis. I want to watch it, but it's like 11 months is a little much. And so you have people breaking down and, um, you know, like Bianca Andreescu, for example, we're going to, we're going to, um, we did a little dramatic reading of, uh, Bianca Andreescu press conference. So, uh, maybe we'll play that for you now. Interior press room, Shenzhen WTA finals. Bianca sits at press table in front of Shiseido and Porsche logos. She is wearing slick, clear framed glasses. A silver cross hangs down on her purple t-shirt. She speaks slowly, perhaps a little dejected. Yeah, I stepped weirdly uh, on a return. I heard my knee crack, kind of went inwards, and putting pressure afterwards on it really bothered me. I could barely bend my knee. But I fought with the pain as much as I could, but at some point um, an athlete has to say stop and just listen to their body, and that's what I did. Yeah, it's disappointing because this is the last tournament of the year. You want to go all out. You're playing at one of the biggest tournaments of the year too, so it's not easy. Okay, I think on court you were telling Sylvain that like, um, you thought it was meniscus and the physio said it was. Has there been any further discussion about that or have you had have any sense of, as to how serious it might be? Yeah, she thought that's what it was, but we'll see. I'm getting an MRI tomorrow. Hopefully it's not too bad. I mean, if this is the end of your season, it's obviously it's a, it's a disappointing end, but uh, can you just reflect on what a fantastic year it's been? You've put a smile on my face. I wasn't really thinking about that. 
It's been amazing. I really can't complain. I made history in Canada. I won my first slam. My game just keeps getting better and better. The thing with me, though, is that I'm never satisfied. Like, even looking back at that, I still want to do well right now, but I have to look at the positives. Hopefully, I can recover quick after this. Who knows if I can play? We'll see. But if not, then I'm going to have a good preseason, good offseason, and be ready for 2020. She's a bit worrying. Like, the way she described that pop and the, the feeling after it is really, really worrying, I think. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I, she has this sense, she gives this impression that she just, she is so committed. She wants to be out there. She, you know, I was reading part of that uh, press conference that we didn't record. And she's like, well, I'm just hoping that my off season is, you know, like a couple weeks off. I mean, she's young and she probably feels totally invincible, but it's like, sometimes, you know, she's had multiple injuries this year and, um, she needs to, she's got to take care of that body. If she's yeah. going to, you know, she could be one of the all time greats if she stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. It's really important. I think, I didn't, yeah, it's really scared me. I think like a pop, hearing a pop from your knee and then, not being and then she kept playing afterwards. She but, just kept going. Oh, that's so <laughs> silly. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, I really hope for a speedy recovery for her. Cause I want to see her playing at the top level for a long time, but Man, if she can't deal with this now at 19 years old, it's not a good sign. Yeah, I, I want to see basically every one of her matches. I mean, that's how I you feel about her. her right now. And and that match against ha- yeah, the match against Halleck was just so delightful. And, you know, she had that great match against Osaka, and Osaka pulled out of the finals as well. It was just like there was so much to look forward to in this particular year-end tournament. But it kind of feels like the year-end tournaments, you know, they, they get marred by injury a lot. And it's, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, the, um, the good thing on the men's side is that uh, I think all the qualified players in the race to London um, are healthy at the moment. It looks like we might get a full field. Yeah, Berrettini yeah, coming in last place. You like I him? like that guy. Mm. I'm really happy for that guy. I wanted yeah, Monfils like to make it. He's, yeah, I did yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I did too. I, I love Monfils, but... It's just something about Berrettini just coming out of nowhere. He came out of nowhere on the grass. For me, anyway, I became aware of him on the grass season where he just, I think he won a tournament and got to a finals as well. And then he's just continued to go so, so well and play some amazing matches. Yeah, yeah, his 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 US Open run was pretty awesome, and he also has like he has this really energetic team around him, and you know there were all these stories about the like Italian restaurant he ate at every oh, night. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that was cool. Like the- <laughs> Um, I'm not that into Berrettini yet, but um, the the Monfils match was interesting because so it's Saturday morning here, and the Paris matches are all in the middle of the night in Australia. So when I got up, I was like, I messaged you two guys, and I was like, okay, which match of the of the four men's matches should I watch? And Matt was like, oh, I. I hear that, you know, Monfils Shapovalov sounds like a good one. <laughs> like, um, Shapovalov won that match 6 2 6 2 in oh, 59 sorry. minutes, I think. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was still a pretty interesting match. And I think uh, the fact is that Monfils could have made the finals if he had won that match. So he kind of had a lot to play for. Like, there was a fair bit of money on the, on the line for him. And, but then I realized, you know, like he's just finishing right outside. He's probably going to be an alternate and they pay the alternates just to show up and sit in the stands. So I kind of wonder if Monfils was like, you know, I'll take, I'll take a hundred grand just to go like watch some tennis for a week instead of getting my butt kicked by, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. Instead of getting your butt kicked by, by Novak and Rafa, like, I mean, cause that's probably what would happen. Start your off season a little, start your off season a week early, get a hundred K and have a few drinks in the stands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess you gotta stay healthy for that. You can't, can't get smashed while you're watching it, but if you're the alternate, but still, Yeah, it was $116,000 just to show up as an alternate to the men's finals. And one of the awesome things about this women's finals that made the news is that it had the it still has the potential to have the highest payday of any tennis event 
ever. So, and uh, Svitolina is the only one I think who's in the running for this because she's undefeated. So if Svitolina wins out, her total payday is something like $4.85 million, most any <laughs> tennis player has ever taken home, which is amazing. But yeah, even the alternates get paid. Like Sophia Kennan's up there sitting with her dad, like checking out the matches, like having a great time. You know, she gets 125 grand just to sit there. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's great that they're getting paid so much money. Um, and because, you know, uh, tennis is like one one place where women get parity with the men in in pay. It doesn't happen actually in, in regular yep. life. Um, yeah. They're still... And it didn't always happen historically. No, I was actually because Alex has given me um, some historical tennis magazines from the seventies and eighties, and one of those magazines is a program from the Victorian Open Championships that they used to play at Kuyong. Um, or did they? Or because maybe the Australian Open was at Kuyong, but the the Victorian Open, um, there's got the prize money here for like, and this is like a big tournament, like Yvonne Goolagong. Virginia Wade, Margaret Court, Martina Navratilova was the 81 champion. But the prize money, total prize money pool, $75,000 for the men. Total prize money pool for the women, $10,000. Oh, man. Uh, brutal. I mean, the men were not – I mean, I guess, you know, that's $1982, but – even still, that's that's not much right. to live if on. You're for a, if you were a women's women's doubles player and you made the quarterfinals, you got paid seventy five bucks each. <laughs> oh I'm sorry, that's yeah. not funny, but it is funny. Like that's that's a joke. Come but, on, but for for a man, yeah, um, a man, and you're you're in a doubles team and you made the round of sixteen only. You got paid 150 bucks per player. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, it's still pretty brutal. It's I think I yeah, it sucked across the board. So this is almost you know this is like almost 40 years ago now, and I think like most professional sports have had a major uptick in uh, in paydays. Like I think you know if you look at NBA players, pro basketball players in the 70s and early 80s, you know they were. They were really, you know, barely making a living. And nowadays you have like, you know, total scrubs making, you know, tens of millions of dollars. It's, it's gone the other way. And actually, so there was sort of, there was some news about this because I think, um, who is it? Uh, Vasek Pospisil has been, uh, you know, kind of advocating, like, I guess, I don't know what his official role is. Is he kind of like the ATP player representative? He's on the, he's maybe the head of the play of the players council, I think. Mm, right. Okay. So, um, I guess he's been doing the rounds, uh, you know, the interview rounds and, you know, he's kind of starting to threaten that the players might strike to kind of get a better cut. And, you know, part of his motivation is he, he's trying to make it so that the sport is healthier for players outside the top 100. Um, you know, like if you're in the top 100, you're probably making a pretty decent living, but much beyond that, it starts to get really brutal. And, um, you know, really outside the, you know, the very top players are the only ones getting, you know, really wealthy, um, but it falls off very quickly. So it's interesting that he's like looking at, you know, taking, uh, you know, the tactical, the kind of extreme tactical approach of, of striking, you know, like, but this has also really benefited players in other sports, like in, you know, the big American pro sports, major league baseball, NBA players have, made off pretty well for themselves by actually just taking some of the season off. And everybody thinks like, Oh, this is terrible for the sport. Like everybody's just going to tune out. It's all these greedy players. And, but you know what? Like (laughs) there's a lot of people making themselves rich off the backs of the players. Like, you know, and there's probably a little more money to go around. So. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't realize that he, because there was there was talk of the strike. When were we talking about that? When Dan Evans called someone out on it, that was during Wimbledon, maybe somewhere around there. So is what that, was is Dan that Evans' position? Uh well, there were talks of strikes, I think, and Dan Evans was 
Uh, I think his position was kind of calling people out like, is this actually, are you serious about striking or is this just, the, is this just brinksmanship? Are we going to do this or, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, but so that conversation is still happening. Is it when, where did you see boss still talking about this late, lately? He did an interview on, uh, no challenges remaining with, um, uh, what's his name? The guy who runs it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I know. Ben Rothenberg. Yeah. Ben Rothenberg. Oh, he, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see if it happens. You know, there is a lot at stake and I do, you know, I wonder about the economics of the whole thing. Like it's awesome that the women have this huge payday in Asia, but you know, you look at the Shenzhen crowd, I mean, they're playing in a pretty small arena, which is cool. It's intimate. It's kind of loud. It's got this great vibe. The courts look amazing. We got to get into the, the color schemes in a minute, but like, um, you know, it's like, where does the money come from? I mean, this is a huge payday and the stands are not filled. So it's obviously not ticket sales alone. It's mostly the sponsorships, right. And, you know, and probably TV deals and all that kind of shit. Um, so, you know, I hope it's sustainable for the players. Um, you know, and it's great that there's so much money in the women's game. Um, because that's just not the case in other pro sports. Like somebody was saying that the, uh, the winner of this tournament, uh, is probably going to make more money than the entire U S women's soccer team that won the world cup, <laughs> which is not great. But, um, anyway, uh, the courts look great. Um, <laughs> I, love it. I love the, the color, not uh, the Paris ones. I can take a leave, but the Shenzhen one. Awesome. Really good. I love it. Well, they're both doing like the gray, they, they've both leaned into gray as kind of the base. And yeah. I like that because I, I feel the contrast is nice. You know, they have the, the gray on the exterior and then, you know, because you're just drawing, it's like they're drawing attention to the interior part. So yeah, in Shenzhen, it's kind of this uh, kind of darker pink or like a light purple. Yeah. Um, and in Paris, it's, you know, it's a green and they just, they both look really distinct to me and great on television. And you were really into one of the camera angles, Alex. Yeah, Paris, I think they've done it out of necessity. I don't know if it was a stylistic choice on their part because on court one in Paris, it's a much smaller court or arena or stadium, whatever you want to call it. So I think the the only place they could put it, the camera, the wide the wide camera, was a little bit lower than, than what it usually is. And it's awesome. Like on some of the – sometimes you see on the big events when there's multiple courts happening, sometimes on the outer courts there's a – a, a camera angle which is really low and it doesn't really look good and it it's just a bit awkward but this one is just right in the perfect spot it's lower than what you usually get but it's higher than those normal uh, like there's other outside court ones and basically you get a good picture of the overall court but you can also see the curve you can see the spin you can see the clearance over the net really really well and i don't know you can just it just draws you into the game a lot more than than the usual wide shot i love it i i would love that shot on all all courts. Yeah, I, I took your advice and um, checked out some court one action in Paris, and uh, it's a joy to watch. It is, I really think you're right, Alex. It splits the difference between the standard shot, which is a bit more overhead, like it's a bit a bit higher, and the lower shot, which they sometimes cut to just to give a bit of difference, which like is like you're sort of at the players at the, almost at the player level, um, yeah. and which yeah. is. But that's too low, isn't it? You can't really see the other side. It's of the a bit hectic then, to it? watch that, but um, yeah. it's yeah, it's quite. Yeah. You don't get um, you're you're too I don't know inside it or something, and and so the, you, they don't tend to cut to that shot for very long on the television broadcast. They just do it for a bit of variation. But I think yeah, this this court yeah. one Paris camera really splits the difference, and it it is truly a joy joy to watch tennis that way through that camera angle. Yeah, I think people are also really responding to like how intimate the court is. And it's interesting that 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 you can feel that even on television, right? Like, you know, I've been to Arthur Ashe Stadium a bunch of times in New York. You know, it's the biggest tennis stadium in the world. And you just, it's just, a, it's a cave. It's it's weird. You're like, everybody's disconnected from the actual match, you know? But then like you go to the Australian Open, you sit on show court three and you get like right court. in the front row. And you can actually like, oh, I love it so much. I'm so excited to just like park there. I mean, we'll be there and we've got a bunch of tickets at Margaret Court also on, in the front row um, or second row for a lot of it. And it's like, 
like it's just being that I think maybe what the feeling you're getting from the Paris angle, um, the Paris camera angle is like, it's a little bit more like being there because you're a little bit lower and closer and you get just, you just get a sense for how physical the game is, you know, like yeah, you can right. feel the spin, you know, you get a sense for how quickly the ball is coming and how quickly the players are reacting. Um, you know, when you're up a little higher, like the normal camera view you get a better sense maybe of tactics you know like oh, you kind of see where they're moving a little bit more so there's every everywhere you sit gives you a little something different uh, i like that about it but yeah i wish the tv would mix it up a little bit more um yeah, totally. i think they're yeah, totally. usually just limited you know they only have so many cameras and the cameras are big so speaking of um yeah i would just love to see some tournaments just go with that choice not out of necessity but just go this this looks better we this right. is, let's do it yeah Oh uh, yeah, I that? guess there's a standard there's a standard shot that they're just using out of habit, habit. But um, yeah, it just needs someone to come in and change it up. Um, I was going to say that yeah, like just on this um, on this thing of like courts that we like the AT, ATP the ATP show that they have um, on the television. You know where they do like interviews and what do what do you call that? What encore interviews? Uh, yeah, it's just like the weekly show, the ATP was Post-match? weekly show, and um, oh, okay, they were they went to the Swedish. They did a feature on the Swedish Open in bus in Bustard, mm. um, and like the courts there, they still have like it's really old, really old school. They still have wooden benches, um, and the <laughs> yeah, the colors are just great. Like, cause you get that that rich wood color, uh, and it, it really. I took some screenshots. So it looks really beautiful. Um, it's just... Oh, you should uh, you should share those on our Instagram tennis tragic pod for any listeners. Get on our our social media train. Um, you were also Matt. Like so, we were kicking around some logo concepts. I've been messing around with graphic design and uh, played with one with like a Roman column and that was being cracked by a tennis ball. It was kind of a goofy one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it looks pretty good. And you shared this, this amazing uh, like article about somebody who had built a tennis court, like inside 16th like old, century Italian church. Yeah. That's the, that's the um, yeah. New York artist, Assad Raza. Um, who's, who's actually used to be a tennis. Uh, he's an, he's a, he's an artist, but he, he used to be a tennis journalist and he's quite interested in tennis. And one of his works, um, he tends to do large scale participatory uh, installations. And um, yeah, he, he installed a tennis court inside a 16th century Italian church and then had professional tennis coaches in the space um, helping people to have a game inside the, the, the beautiful surrounds of the church. Um, he was actually he was actually in Sydney recent, recently, and I worked with him to do um, another installation, which was all of, all about the oh, earth wow. um, at Carriage Works. Um, but yeah, oh uh, no way! I didn't know that was, that the, was same the same guy. guy. Yeah, that's Assad Raza. Huh. I'm sorry. Say his name one more time. Raza R A Z A. Assad Raza. Great. Love and it. what's the uh, we'll definitely... Yeah, what's the work called? Uh, so we can, uh, our viewers can, uh, I mean, our listeners can know to look it up because it is. People aren't watching us right now? Um, people are. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just for fun do, we'll do um, an episode on YouTube? Uh, yeah, we could totally do that. I mean, it's just we have to like do the. Uh, we got to like, you know, get the, the video chat going and, you know, we've, we've moved away from the, the digital chatting because it's, it's kind of messed us up a little bit. Um, but, uh, anyway, we, let's definitely share all that stuff it, on our Instagram. It's called because, un- untitled uh, in brackets. Untitled brackets plot for dialogue. Plots plot, for dialogue. P L O T. Plot for dialogue. Um, yeah, because oh. I guess the tennis court is it's plotting an area where we may engage in a sort of dialogue together. Yeah, you can look at a tennis match as being a conversation of sorts, a little back and forth. 
Um, cool. Let's, uh, yeah, we'll share images on the Insta. Um, what else happened? So we had our biggest social media moment uh, when uh, the Nito ATP finals <laughs> restoried. <laughs> I, it's hard to take this seriously, but I, I guess this was you, Matt. Like you posted a thing. You must have added them about Raven Clausen making the ATP finals. Yeah, Raven Clausen and Michael Venus are into the uh, ATP finals for the doubles section. Um, right. And did you notice that the actual, the official ATP finals, like re re grammed us? Oh, did they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he put that. it. Yeah. It, like I got a notification and I was like, Oh, like we're in the ATP finals story. It was your post, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh well, man, our followers are going to blow up. And I don't know. They, we, they've grown to like, we've got like 22 now or something. So. Okay. Okay. That's great. I, um, I should have mentioned Michael Venus as well. I just put one of the pair on that. The reason I did that was because I had a photo of Raven Clarsen and I uh, ATP Nito ATP Tour Finals at Nito ATP Tour Finals Instagram account ran a promotion saying if you uh, follow us and uh, mention us in a story, you have a chance to get tickets to go to London and watch. So. Oh, so that was your entry for a contest, but you didn't actually win, even though they selected your image. Yeah, I think they're selecting a, they're they're regramming a bunch of images ah um, okay that's cool all right but maybe we could win maybe we will still win yeah yeah, uh, yeah good luck that would be amazing um but if they yeah, only, i realize that like if there's this whole social media game though right of just like adding people all the time so that you hope that they regram you and people back. find yeah. you and all this shit. Uh, yeah, yeah it was sh it was shameless on their part and shameless on my part too good keep up the shamelessness i approve okay all right. <laughs> um, so what else in the department of uh, the shameless or not so shameless? Uh, Matt, you had a dream that you wanted to oh, tell Oh, I don't know about. if it's really relevant. Um, I, it's not relevant? I, I just want to hear about dream. I want, to, I want us to get into the subconscious as much as possible. Well, I had a, like, a waking, like, I was, like, it was this morning, like, um, and I was just snoozing. And then I had a dream that I got a job at the checkouts at Woolworths or one of the supermarkets. And um, I was kind of falling. I was like, I was asleep. I was asleep at the wheel at the checkout. And then there was this couple who wanted to buy a Sprite. And I, they gave me a card and I was having trouble like um, scanning their or like inserting their credit card into the machine to pay for their Sprite. And they were getting really angry at me because I was taking so long and all they wanted to do was buy a Sprite from Woolworths and get out of there. Um, and I put the card into the machine and then it didn't, it, the machine kept bro like broke apart. And then, and then they said like, why don't you just, why don't you just um, use the pay pass option where you can just tap Tap the card. I was like, yeah, why didn't I think of that? But then the card had fallen into the workings of the register and mm. I couldn't I couldn't get it out. And then I was like looking for it so that my um, all my papers out of my backpack and uh, all, all my life admin stuff and all my personal possessions just seemed to be there in the cash register booth with me and I couldn't find anything. And they, they said they were going to call the manager and I was like, please don't call the manager. It was my first day here as a checkout operator. And, and, but they, <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, look, just, just, um, take the Sprite and I'll pay, I'll like pay, I'll pay for you. I'll, I'll pay, I'll buy it for you. But then they were like, but no, we need our card. Your card, the card is stuck in the register. And, and like, I was like, get it out. And then the, the, the supervisor came and, and I was like, I'm sorry. Uh, and it was like, I'd been on drugs or I'd been drunk or sleeping on the job and the, and so and I had to get out of the booth and let the manager deal with it. And then I asked some fellow workers whether or not they thought I would get offered another shift. And they didn't think I would get another shift. And then they, <laughs> oh, and then they did a dance and then they painted mustaches on their faces and like did a dance for me. And then I woke up. They did a dance. Yeah. What was the dance like? It was like, um, 
they were just kind of like held these poses of their legs were pointing out and their arms uh, and they're kind of cutting shapes. Wow. Yeah, anyway, that was my dream this morning. That's good. Yeah, so Alex, you're on the hook for a dream next week. Just, uh, you know, because I had, I had one last week. Yeah, I don't really remember many of my well, dreams. And, yeah. Just you keep, a little, keep a little pad next to your bed and, you know, maybe, maybe uh, the subconscious will will activate. What do you think this dream meant, Matt? It feels like a little bit of a stress dream, you know, like stuff's not going right, kind of under a little bit of pressure. You can't, you're not in control. Totally. Um, uh, yeah. And like, maybe I have been thinking about changing jobs recently. Mm. So uh, yeah, I guess it's pretty literal. I think like at that stage where you're waking up and you're just, you know, you're just snoozing you're not in a deep sleep, so it is kind of just like literal, like it's a very literal dream. Right. Yeah. But I love that it ended with this, you know, this kind of, uh, you being presented with this dance, you know, that they were like, it's almost like, that's just, that's just life. You know, you get a little, there's a little celebration that comes out of all this madness or, or just like, yeah, the other word is abstract. Yeah, they were good. They were, they were nice. They were helpful and supportive. Um, with their dancing and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, what else is going on tennis wise? We're kind of wrapping up these tournaments. Um, the dance continues for the men. Novak Djokovic and Grigor Dimitrov play later tonight while we're probably all going to be sleeping. Shapovalov Nadal. Shapo has been great. You know, um, lost in that match, you know, along with Monfils, uh, like uh, money and access to the, the London finals. Like Chapeau has been playing great. Um, just looks, he looks actually fitter to me than I remember him being in the past. He looks like fitter, more intense, you know, like really moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's really good to see. It's good. Um, it's, becoming more and more of a thing that maybe his new coaching appointment is a very positive thing for him. It's, you know, it's uh, when he first, when that happened just before the U S open, then he had a good run. Everyone was like, ah, oh, this could be, this could be a great coaching change or it's a very small sample size so far. We don't know if it's anything to do with the coach, but he's kind of more and more backing it up lately over the last few tournaments. And it's really, really good to see. I'm loving it. Yeah, it's gonna. Rafa's gonna be a tough test. I mean, Rafa right now just looks totally invincible. And you know, I, it's sort of like you know, Demonor like he won that title recently, um, and his you know he's he's been playing great, and he got all the way to the finals uh, to play Roger Federer last week in uh, in Switzerland in Basel, and then Federer just absolutely smashed him, blew him away, smashed him. So. Yeah. That could happen today as well. We'll see. Yeah. Hopefully not. Two lefties, that'll be good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, that the match where the two of them played in Canada, which was kind of like Shapovalov's coming out party that he won a third set tiebreak, was really memorable for me because I was visiting the work office um, for my, my company, Unknown Worlds in San Francisco. You know, it's not very often that I get to actually go to the office where there's like, you know, about a half dozen of our people and I could not resist. I like had the tennis on in the background while I was watching other things and I was just like getting really into it. And like, like, (laughs) guys, you don't understand how amazing this is right now. What's happening. Cause you know, he was like feeding off the crowd, you know, it had that extra edge because he was, he was beating Rafa in front of a Canadian audience, you know, um, which was, pretty so special great. so hopefully it's a good match we as as interesting as the tennis has been this week it hasn't there haven't been like very many great matches um no especially this quarterfinal round in the paris masters is a bit of a dud like, yeah no good matches yesterday Djokovic Djokovic cleaned up city pass what was it six one six two or something ridiculous yeah like that? at least at least nobody suggested i watch that one that seemed even worse <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I watched that one. That's why I was like, when you asked, there's, a, there's four choices and I watched one of them and it wasn't any good. And I was like, well, maybe my piece jump well off. That might be <laughs> yeah, good. Right. I mean, it looks like Rafa and Sanga played a really good first set. And I was watching the highlights on tennis TV and Rafa hit this ridiculous, there was this one point he hits this ridiculous like tweener volley, like just no way you could even practice this shot um, for a winner against Sanga. So, uh, you know, and there were just multiple points in those highlights where, you know, it, like Rafa has this kind of signature way of like, you know, his opponent has hit a shot that it like should be a winner against every player on tour and Rafa somehow gets to it and then hits this like looping curling forehand down the line passer for a win yeah. for a winning shot. Like it's, uh, he's pretty good at tennis. Yeah. yeah. He's, He's pretty good at tennis. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Um, so I think we're probably going to get to see Novak and Rafa in the final, unless, you know, we get a little spoiler here. And that's kind of exciting. I, we haven't seen the two of them go head to head in a little while. So. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, and kind of interesting good. given that they'll be playing, well, they'll be playing in the same tournament in London and potentially meeting up with each other. They'll be in. And the race for year-end number one is very ah, much on. True, so true, yeah. I think that Rafa gets the year-end number one even if, if he just make if he just makes the final here. Um, yeah, really? my, a friend of mine, this uh, this woman that I played tennis with recently um, through Oz Tennis, uh, messaged me last night just to tell me that Rafa Nadal will replace Novak Djokovic as the ATP number one singles player at the end of the tournament. Okay. At the end of the tournament, regardless of Djokovic's result in the tournament, Nadal can also secure the year end ranking by either winning the tournament, reaching the final of Novak fails to do otherwise, or reaching the semis of Djokovic fails to reach. Okay. That's not in play. So Okay, but this is not even counting the final. That's right. right. So it's actually I think Rafa has a lead. So if if they both get to the final of this tournament, um it's still in play. Um it's still right. in play, so. And then then it comes down to London. Yeah, and you know, and winning this event would be a big deal because it's like, you know, if if uh, you know, I guess the winner gets 1000 points and the runner up gets 500, I think. So um that can that can make yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And what's the point? What's the point situation in the finals, the ATP finals? Um, that's a good question. Let's see. Points and prize money. I have this tab open because I was looking at the money. Okay, so in the finals, if you win a round robin match, you get two hundred points. Um, if you win the semi uh, semifinal, you get four hundred, and the final gives you five hundred. An undefeated champion gets fifteen hundred points. That's kind of an interesting wrinkle. Um, okay. Yeah. So it kind of depends on. Depends on a bunch of things. So there's a potential two and a half thousand points here if, if one of them wants to blitz it and get all the way through. I don't know if that's additive. Um, that's in, like like a thousand for for Paris and then fifteen hundred for London. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Okay. So I think fifteen hundred is the most you can get if you win. If yeah. you get beaten along the way, like in the round robin, um, then you yeah. get like 1300 or something or 1100 depending yeah, on how many yeah. matches you win um yeah, yeah totally so um so yeah that can make a big difference and also like yeah. right if rafa like somehow falls out in the round robin i mean he could end up pulling out with an injury or something i mean i know we were saying earlier like everybody looks like they're healthy but i don't trust it <laughs> i hope that's the case i hope everybody plays because it'd be awesome but well, what's so at the moment? They're only three hundred points apart. So yeah, it's it's all to play for now. Mm. That, that race is, is okay. Alive. Okay, sweet. Um, well, so what do you guys think about round robins in general? Like, I'm sort of not sure that these are the best way. Like, I think they're good for like the team competitions where it's a little bit more open and there's more people playing. But for like these year end finals, like you have the top eight players. Like I almost think the women, like they, they should take the eight players and do single elimination, but best of five, like take it up a notch. Although then again, they're all getting injured. So maybe that's not the best thing. <laughs> I like the round robin just, format for these. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, it gives, it gives everyone a chance. Um, to play each other like yeah 
it takes the draw out. Yeah, of it. and it, yeah, it does. It does, right. and it's yeah. a different. Right. It's it's a fun, different format that we don't see at any other time during the year. I think it's yeah. I like that there's variety, and I. But the thing I don't, I guess the thing I don't like about it is just that sometimes the middle matches get become meaningless. Like it feels like the early matches are more important. And then like, you know, you'd like the third round Robin match. Sometimes like it's already been decided or like there's some weird thing where somebody can win, but still not make it because somebody else tied them yeah. and won the tie break. So, you know, it just, it, it kind of changes the dramatic arc of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, like one of the good things is you, well, you definitely get to see pl- players play more like everybody in the draw. If they stay healthy, gets three matches. So that's kind of awesome. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's a good, I like it. I like it too. Also because of the difference, just a bit of interest and change it up a little bit, but I like it because the top eight people then get to actually fight it out a bit more rather than, the draw coming out and you realizing that you're up against the number one player in the world, the first match and then you get knocked out and that's the yep. end. I think uh, it's, it feels a bit more like a truer, you know, year end finals mm. format where there's a bit more of a chance to flesh it out. There's a bit more of a chance to actually see where the cards all fall, you know, when it's all said and done. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, you can actually have a comeback situation too where like you could lose Mm. to a player in the first round and then manage to win your way into the final four and, you know, and then you can get revenge. You could beat that player in the final. And, um, you know, so it can make for some pretty interesting drama. I just... Yeah, just, I mean... It can fall flat, though, too. Yeah. You're right. It can definitely but fall flat. But so can a direct draw. Yeah. I mean, in direct draws, I think, right. like, Paris, actually, I've been kind of mocking the Paris Masters because I thought, like, well, last year it was Hachinov who won, and the year before there was this really ridiculous final with uh, where Jack Sock beat... Um, uh, Serbian guy. Djokovic. <laughs> he might forget. No, it wasn't Djokovic. It was uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Tipsarovic. Yeah, Tipsarovic was I'm googling other. Serbian tennis players, and I'll get the result. Um, not Janko Tipsarovic. Uh, not Dusan Lajevic. Uh, yep, there he is. Philip uh, Laszlo Jere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krajanovic, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the Serbians have a good bench. I mean, they could be dangerous in the ATP finals. Lajevic, Krajanovic, Kekmanovic, Jere. Uh, they got a lot going on there. Anyway, um, but this Paris event was really good because it's a draw of 48. So you have all the top players in there and then, like, not too many extras. Like, I sometimes think the Grand Slams, the Grand Slams sometimes, like, the, the top players get these draws where they just, like, they're not challenged at all until the the quarters, you know? It's like It can be, but yeah, the yeah, great thing about like the Grand Slams is yeah. a draw of 128 plus even more in the qualifying. Yeah. Um is that you sometimes like although you might get an easy run sometimes a player ranked outside the top 100 plays the match of their life and beats the world number yeah. 1. Which is cool. We love that. That's, That's you know, true. Doesn't, and the reason why it's exciting is because it doesn't yep. happen all the time. Yeah, exactly. No, I love it. It's good. It's The variety is good. But it's that, like I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Masters events. Like the Masters events are so, are so much fun. Um, and, you know, the equivalent, the WTA premieres on the women's side. Because, um, you know, and the crowds are a little smaller. I think they're great to go to. You know, I've been to, I've been to Miami. Um, I think that's the only, is that the only Masters event I've been to? Um, yeah, would like to go to more. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to go to some. Pa- yeah, Paris does get a little bit. I feel like Paris gets a little bit slept on because of where it is in the year and where and everyone's tennis fatigue at that point. But it's it's good. Let's go. So as I said before, best camera angle. Also, <laughs> best camera angle. Best best music. Yeah, the best music. <laughs> best music on court. I haven't yeah. noticed. I haven't been watching that much because it's on in the middle of the night. But wh- what are they doing with the music? That's so good. Well, most tournaments, you know, it's either like top forty pop, which makes sense. It's the most widely appealing thing, and you know, you get people of all sorts coming. So it's it's just a safe tick the box of music, get the job done. 
move, whatever, that's fine. And then the other one is like classic rock, which seems to happen more in the States a little bit more. It's <laughs> Fuck a bit yeah, more rock orientated. But this one, it seems like there's just someone DJing there because I noticed this last year as well and it's happening this time who is just trying to play really good, interesting music with no bass. Like not, it, I heard some really nice Afrobeat the other day and there's some kind of weird like down-tempo electronic stuff and it's just really different, really wide-ranging but always good, always solidly good before matches and in, court cha- in the end changeovers, nailing it. Sweet. Let's get a little playlist going. We, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have a look. We'll add our Tennis Tragic Spotify account. Oh, we don't need an account. We'll just, yeah, we'll just make one, a playlist. Let's I make a tennis playlist on Spotify. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I'll have to find it. I can't remember what match I was watching where there was a couple of tracks. I was like, oh, I actually really want to find what this is and buy it. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> like it, yeah. Got to break out the Shazam. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, I think we should wrap up. This was really good. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's good. I think so. good to talk to you guys. Yeah, likewise. Um, so thanks everybody for listening out there in the wide worlds. We really appreciate it. You know, we couldn't couldn't do it without your support. Actually, we probably would do it without your support, but. Um, <laughs> we, we might, but there wouldn't be as much. There wouldn't be as much of a point to to do it and. Um, We'd yeah, do, we'd. <laughs> I mean, it would it would be different, right? I mean, we were kind of doing it before we did it. We were doing it. We were just having messenger chats, and that was fine. Um, but right, like you know, in another era, maybe we would have just like you know, if it was 1982 and the women's doubles quarterfinals just happened, we would have just called each other up, maybe. Um, Hopefully, and, we would have been politically aware enough to go that this is not right. And yeah, this is not right. The, this payday is totally inappropriate. Um, but we probably, probably would have. It would have cost more to call each other than than um, than it would have. <laughs> than, than, like we could have paid for the women's quarterfinals prize money. <laughs> um, all right, uh, that just about wraps another episode of the Tennis Tragic. Uh, we'll see you guys again soon. See you soon. Bye.